Welcome back to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. This is episode number 255. This is Tim Maluli, and Brendan's here with me today. And we've got a good handful of articles that we wanted to cover in today's episode. We're going to start off talking about James Harden, right? Yeah. Go, go figure. I don't think most people would expect to uh, lead off an investment financial planning related podcast with basketball, James Harden. Yeah. But uh, our friend Drew Dixon tied in uh, James Harden to a quick post that he did uh, last week about um, edges and yeah. whether or not any of us have them. Right. Yeah. And full disclosure, I'm not a big NBA guy, but I know the narrative about James Harden and his traveling antics and how he takes like three or four steps and jumps back and takes a shot and the refs don't call it. Yeah. Not, not a basketball guy. But I I know the, I know the, the his thing is like the, the step back jumper, right? Right. That's that's what he's known for. And other people in the league are are doing this now too. Uh, It's, it's become pretty prevalent. Take it's, it seems like two two quick steps back. Uh, I don't know if anybody out there saw the uh, the video that was floating around the internet uh, a couple weeks ago where yeah. it was him like doing a step back and then somebody photoshopped it on like him traveling across the world basically, which <laughs> yeah. is pretty funny. Yeah, but uh, the point that Drew was 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 making in the article was that everyone kind of sees that as a leg up for Harden. Like, hey, this guy can take like the refs aren't calling it when he takes all these extra steps but now other people are starting to do it as well and not having it be called traveling so, right. so, so like the, the advantage the is, definition of traveling has has been changed over the the course of the years because right. drew was like watching watching this game with his brother and both of them had played basketball in high school and and were like average by by their own accounts uh, and and uh, Drew was like, man, like, can can you only imagine if if we were able to take extra steps like all these guys in the NBA now? Right. And his brother was kind of like, yeah, but like, everybody else would have been able to take the extra steps too. Like, it, it right. The point was, it wouldn't have made them any better because the playing field was leveled. Right. And the the comparison, the tie that he he made to investing and in, and in alpha, uh, which is trying to find some sort of edge or outperformance in the market, is that you know if everybody has the same advantage then it's not really an advantage anymore because it's just a level playing field you're all operating under the same under the same rules right and and he specifically was talking about like somehow having um like better information than somebody like the way he rattled off a couple things like do you meet with company management do you build your own earnings models do you pull credit card history satellite images and and other big data in real time like so does everyone else right everybody is out there doing this operating with the same information so you either have the same info as everybody else and and you should recognize that that it's that it's not an edge and that's not where if you are going to outperform that's not where it's going to come from right just having better information you probably don't or you you actually have insider information which is probably i think even more unlikely where where could where could you obtain uh better results than others you you could you could behave better than them uh you could have a a longer term mindset than them uh lower cost investments than other people right but yeah i mean in in today's world with all this public information flying around 24 7 at the speed of light Mm -hmm. everyone has essentially the same information and even if you do have a slight edge in some sense the word that drew used in the post was if you think you have a sustainable information edge it's like yes you might currently have a uh, an edge 
over someone else, but is that sustainable? How, how quickly is that going right. to be disseminated across the marketplace? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially I think uh, an important one. It, it's easy to get sucked in when you see headlines about the markets or a company or. But if you're reading this kind of information in like a press release or like you're listening to the earnings call, like it's too late. Yeah. All like the information's out there. Like there's no way to take something that you just read on like Market Watch and like go trade your account and profit off of it. Right. That's that's not that may have been how the world worked at some point where you could like stay ahead of the news and and trade and profit based upon that decades yeah. ago perhaps, but especially after regulation FD which spoke to a lot of, you know, this in insider information that may have existed more uh, prevalently in the past. It's just not out. The opportunity isn't out there. And so to think that you can trade based off of what you're reading on a Bloomberg terminal or your computer yeah. on a day-to-day -day basis is is not uh, realistic. Yeah. It's probably not as significant as you, as you think it is. Uh, so unfortunately for some people out there and unfortunately for James Harden, uh, the advantage seems to be non-existent anymore. Yeah. And if everybody can do something, then it's no longer an advantage. Yep. So he'll just have to start taking four steps as opposed to three. Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> find a different way to uh, to travel or, or, or break the rules. Yeah, but, we'll, we'll yeah. see where the game goes from here. Yeah. But, uh, I think I think every sport has these kind of things. And that's, mm -hmm. I think, why it's also, it's really difficult to compare players um, from different eras. Right. Because the, yeah. ga the game's just, like, so different. And, yeah. and that's not just basketball. I think every sport. Yeah. The players are different. You know, we hear about how athletes are getting bigger and stronger. Mm-hmm. You know, as time goes on, mm -hmm. the rules change. Things get a little more lenient. Styles of play are different. Yeah, it's, I think. Yeah, I it's think that also you could people, apples to oranges. The great investors, you could say the same thing. It's right. like it's like trying to compare Kobe to Wilt Chamberlain to I don't know, name it. But like across yeah. decades, like can we can we really sit around and you know compare right. Jim Simons from Rentac to like Peter Lynch to. Warren Buffett, like yeah. they all operated under very di different circumstances and really tough to say, like who's yeah. the best? And I think that's why those debates will continue forever because there's no correct answer. And so everybody can be right in their own mind uh, right. based upon whatever they think. Yeah, but definitely uh, it, was a, it was a quick article from Drew, but it had a pretty good point to hammer home there. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. I think the, the next article that we wanted to touch on uh, was from Barry Ritholtz. It was about selfie deaths. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, we just led with two articles that I just, like, we're talking about people dying taking selfies and James Harden today on the Maluli Asset Management <laughs> yeah. podcast. All right, yeah, Continue. go figure. Sorry about that. No, no, uh, two unusual topics to start off, but they have pretty good points uh, when you... Dive yeah, deeper we, into we the started. There's a point to this. Yeah. <laughs> Title of the article: Selfie deaths are like stock market crashes. Uh, again, from Barry Ritholtz. He started out by saying, over the last six years, 259 people have died from selfie-related deaths, usually climbing out onto some 
unsafe place and falling from a great height or some something happens. Um, but he was talking about how these selfie-related deaths are kind of bizarre instances. Uh, same thing with, with like shark attacks. People are terrified of getting attacked by a shark when the odds of that happening are so slim. Right, so we're, uh, we're really focused on these low-probability events yeah. that are vivid because they're gruesome, like a shark attack or somebody falling from a really high place. Yeah. These things are really unlikely, and we spend a disproportionate amount of time worrying about things like that, yeah. as opposed to like two other examples. Like if you're at a beach, probably way more important to focus on something like getting skin cancer, right. which, which kills many people each and every year, yeah. or uh, as opposed to like a selfie death to worry about something like, like heart disease, like right. the number one killer of people here in America. Right. We don't worry about these things that we are all at very high risk for that yeah. that we can control, um, and we get sucked into exciting. Well, I don't know if exciting is the right word, but vivid yeah. and uh, gruesome stories about people dying from things like taking a selfie or being yeah. attacked by a shark. When the probability of that occurring is incredibly low. Like you said, people won't people won't go in the ocean because they're afraid of getting bitten by a shark, but they'll sit on their towel or in a beach chair wearing no sunscreen for eight hours a day. Yeah. You know, like, right. What what's more likely to be the cause of your death? Tying this in, Barry's point, how selfie deaths, shark attacks are like stock market crashes. Investors fear these huge one-time catastrophic events like a 1987 crash, things like that, that don't happen very often or you know, are kind of similar. I mean, you can you to, can rattle off the major ones from the last twenty or thirty years, and right. everyone will remember them because they occur so infrequently. Yeah. Um, and I, and so, but we do like like the other examples. We do spend the majority of our time as investors worrying about these these one time uh, events, things that occur very infrequently. When it would probably be more useful to focus on things like fees. Mm -hmm. and behavior yeah which can slow can instead of being a dramatic one-off event can just like slowly erode your money over time by yeah. paying high fees or by behaving poorly and jumping in and out of the markets at the wrong time that can dramatically impact how much wealth you will have at, at the end of your accumulation phase yeah um and you have absolute control over the amount of fees that you pay and yeah and how and how much credence you give to behavior and, and how well you behave right but you you don't have a lot of control over when the market's going to crash or when a shark's gonna yeah <laughs> happen to be in your vicinity when you step into the ocean right and along the same lines of you know fearing these big crashes barry says we're also enticed by these hot crazy exciting things that come along and people have fear of missing out on like the next big thing. Uh, I think one of the lines that he said, he was like, people want, we want Amazon, we want Bitcoin instead of, you know, diversification and low cost investing. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to take part and be a part of these fads and crazes like Bitcoin a couple of years ago, but people don't really give any, it's not sexy, it's not uh, exciting to have, be like, wow, look how diversified I am. Or like, yeah. you know, it's so exciting to have this low cost fund in my portfolio mm -hmm. when in reality, those are the things that really kind of get you to where you want to go over time. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so to, to put a bow on all of that, I think that we spent too much time worrying about what's possible and not enough time worrying about what is probable. Right. Right, these are low probability events like hitting the jackpot in some obscure asset class or getting attacked 20% by 20% down shark. day like yeah. 1987 or a shark attack when, when we could be worrying about what, what, is, what is probable and what can I do about those kinds of risks. Right. One of the one of the articles we wanted to talk about was from from Morningstar about their fee. They re- recently just put out a study about uh, uh, fees. Yeah, so they do a fee study each year. They've done it since two thousand, and they look at the uh, asset weighted average fee of mutual funds and ETFs. And mm-hmm. the reason they do asset weighted is to kind of show asset weighted just means like where the dollars are. Right. So they want to they want to take into account fund fees, but they want to also take into account which funds are people investing in more than others? Right. So they don't want to uh, give uh, too much weight to crummy funds that have high fees or, or whatever the, the case might be. Right. But every year since 2000, uh, this number has has dropped. Right. And so that, that trend continued in 2018. In, in the year 2000, the average mutual fund and ETF, uh, the average asset-weighted fee was 93 basis points. Yeah. And it... It's down to um, forty-eight, forty-eight basis points yeah. in two thousand eighteen. Six percent so, decline from last year alone. Yeah, and they put that into dollar terms. So yeah. uh, five and a half billion dollars estimated in savings from fund fees being cut just mm-hmm. between twenty eighteen uh, and twenty seventeen. Yeah. So in one year, um, obviously that's the culmination of a lot of different people getting one or two basis points sliced off of uh, their funds. It's not, right. it's not like uh, you, re- you read that number and you're like, wow, everyone, everyone's rich we now because of so this. We saved so much it's money. Like, well, collectively, we saved an right. estimated five and a half billion. So yeah. we all saw that in, uh, in you know, the degree to which we have exposure to these, these kind of funds. Yeah. And they, they outlined a couple of reasons or factors that played into the fees continuing to drop. And, uh, some of the top reasons they said uh, was just investor awareness. We've seen over the last couple of years, investors, even people just coming in our our door, they're they're more worried about fees and and low fees, um, which is good, obviously. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think the message has uh, it. Obviously, with the numbers and what you said, we've heard more people talking about this, but we still see and to say the average the average fund. Uh, expense ratio is down to somewhere like 48 basis points or you know how, how they're measuring it here we still see people come in with portfolios that are costing them like well over one percent right in mutual funds and they have no idea yeah and it's just it's uh the snowball it's is, to share yeah. that kind of information with them like you can have this exact portfolio yeah for, for like one percent less yeah than than what you're currently paying and and there would be no no ill effects to that. There's no reason to continue paying these high fees. Right. Yeah. So I think uh, the snowball is rolling in terms of you know spreading awareness. They so they even broke it down to. Um, I'm not. I'm not willing to say that everybody should be all passive all the time. Right. But fund fees are even dropping. So they split it up. Passive funds in this study are down to uh, 15 basis points on average, where where active ones are down to 67. Yeah. Because. I mean, in 67, it depends. If, if you want active management for a certain por- uh, portion of your portfolio, uh, it should be in this neighborhood. Just to give yourself a good barometer of what you're... Like, if you have right. an active fund and you like what they're doing, but they cost double that still, right? 
then it's like, all right, well, are they clearing this hurdle? Because there are probably cheaper alternatives out there, even if you want to stay uh, in an active fund. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the snowball's rolling, and, and they even looked at, like, the cheapest 20% of all of these funds took in, like, over $600 billion last year. Yeah. Uh, and, and the other 80% had net outflows of, like, $475 billion, so, right. something like that, uh, very close to those numbers. And yeah. just, just to show that people are becoming more aware and that most of most of the new money coming into the cheaper funds are basically, it's just, like, hemorrhaging from the more expensive ones, whether this is individual investors waking up to this idea that, that costs matter or people working with advisors who are sharing that message with them but yeah uh, or a little a good bit one of both yeah probably both right and then i think on top of that between those two factors the fund families and the you know the fund providers themselves are seeing this awareness growing and they're responding by cutting their fees right uh, so it's it's just causing like we've been saying a Vanguard snow, a snowball fees you know? again <laughs> last week Vanguard, yeah. Vanguard lowered f- fees on their uh, their ETFs which were already microscopic right uh, a, a basis point here or there on a, about a dozen of their ETF products last week yeah as, as if as if they as if uh, they needed to do that right further, yeah. right yeah all right well uh, we're gonna stop there for this episode episode number two hundred and fifty five of the Maluli Asset podcast. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next one.